Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by May Finch. Hello, hello. And of course, we have the player himself, Will Rotondi. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> it does kind of look like right where you're sitting, like uh, Tim Robbins has his arm around your shoulder. I love it. It's kind of cute, you know? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> You and me, buddy. We're going to go places together. For those not watching, Real just tapped his hand lovingly. Green screen effect is done. My CGI, no. Speaking of the player, we are going to be talking about the self-referential Robert Altman film, The Player, on today's episode as our main quest. Of course, I've got a little game, a new game in store for the group. I'm very curious to see how this goes. But first, let's talk about long takes. So in the spirit of the show, uh, thank you, Will, for the suggestion. Uh, I am going to define what a long take is. And then I'm going to ask you guys, do you have a favorite particular long take in a film or TV show? So while you ponder that question, according to our favorite studiobinder.com, a long take, also known as a one is a shot that's intended to appear as a single, uninterrupted take in the final edit of a project. Camera movement and elaborate blocking are often involved in long takes, but they are not mandatory. Some long takes for the entire duration of the scenes, uh, sorry, of the scene, while others are bookended by other shots. So uh, famously, to give the audience an example, if you need one, Think about uh, 1917 war film that came out a few years ago that was uh, intended to look like one long continuous take. They use some camera tricks. Obviously, it would be very hard to uh, to shoot a what 90 ish minute movie, uh, maybe even impossible. I don't know, like as one take. So with that being said, thank you, StudioBinder.com for the definition do you have a favorite long take in a film or TV show? I do. Yeah. And I would have to say it would have been, so there would have been two answers to that. Um, 1917 would have been one because I thought that movie was, was gorgeous. Um, but I think that, I don't know, I guess the question is, do you like, so you do technically define like when you make it look like a long take, it's still a long yes. take. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that would be one. <laughs> But if we're talking um, without trying to do like the the camera trickery, I think, and I could be completely wrong because it's been ages since I've watched this film, but The Protector with, I want to say it was Tony Jaa, was like a really cool martial arts film that I, again, I literally don't remember even the plot behind this film. I think he had to go like save, you know, I don't, I'm not even going to go into it. Um, there's like a really awesome, like badass scene where he is fighting up different levels in a restaurant i think and it's just one long badass take of him just beating the crap out of people and i love martial arts films and that was just something that i that stuck out to me it's probably been like 15 years since i've seen that thing but it is if you ever get a chance i would recommend it it sounds like they kind of ripped that off for Daredevil, right? Like the Netflix show. Remember the hallway scene that everyone loved yeah. so much in the first, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I always think like long takes are, I mean, there's kind of two camps. There's the, 
hey, it's just beautifully framed and uh, maybe a little more complicated on like the camera technical side. And then there's like the choreography ones where you're like, holy crap, like the the, the blocking and martial arts, I think in particular is like lends itself well to be being impressive because everyone has to do something very intense perfectly for a long time and in quick succession. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. May, how about you? See, I feel like we've talked about my favorites pretty extensively already. Um, they would be contacts, which again is a camera trick, not a true long shot. But um, way back our first episode, I want to say, we talked yeah. about how that was done with um, layering the frames into like where the mirror was shot. And that's probably still my favorite. Uh one, the one that's like true long shots that I like, love, uh, Chris showed me actually, and it's rope, which mm. is referenced in the player, and I got a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah, rope is was probably going to be the same one that I was going to say as well. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of hop in here and um, comments. Like, I, I think what makes rope impressive is like, it's adapted from a play and it's probably the closest a film for me has ever come to feeling like you're watching a play like in real time because of the setting it's all in one apartment and of course the subject matter is great but they use a very simple trick to obscure the cuts where they just zoom in on somebody's jacket or something Mm -hmm. on like the ill-fated uh serving table that has a little surprise inside of it and uh you know Mm -hmm. things like that to to do it but um it's a very fascinating story about how they made it as well. Having all the walls be able to like slide back and forth. And um, that is, that is definitely my favorite. Cause I like Hitchcock. I mean, there's obviously some could come up with some great runner runner ups. I don't think there's really a wrong answer. I'm actually quite looking forward to like, we're rewatching true detective and I seem to really be, imp- I remember being impressed by a scene where uh, Russ is, I think trying to extricate himself from like a group of gang members or something. Like, I don't remember the context. I just remember being like, Oh, this is so like cool and unique. Um, but I'll report back on that. But yeah, thanks. Yeah, the, the reason we're using this as our opening topic, if you have not watched the player, it opens with a long take where there's a couple of characters that are kind of coming in and out of the frame, talking about their favorite long takes uh, in different films. I think it's a great little setup. Uh, well, thank you both for sharing. Now it's time for us to, uh, to draw a quick side quest before we do a deep dive into the player. Ah, so furry friends, furry friends. Uh-huh. Okay, I might chuck like this one back of... in the pot. <laughs> yeah, and, unless somebody's got another one, but I think I might chuck this one. I might veto it. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I'll say. Not... I mean, yeah, I mean, I could throw one out there if you want to. We should play true to the cards. I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. 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 Um... As a game master. <laughs> I yeah, like it. Keeping us honest. <laughs> Keeping yeah. us honest. Yeah, I could yeah. certainly pick one. I just didn't know if like I'm like, yeah, we've drawn drawn this a few times like recently, but you're right. You're right, May. It's it's the fate of the cards. So um Will, if you got something that immediately springs to mind, or May, please either of you share. It looks like Will um, has something. I'm ready. Uh so I'm going to nominate the dog from I Am Legend. 
Oh, why you got to break my heart like that, man? That's that's why. <laughs> saddest, like one of the saddest moments ever. Just that moment between Will Smith and that dog. And then that dog turns into a zombie. So. I haven't seen that movie specifically because I know what happens to the dog. I'm glad that that wasn't like, uh, that I didn't just spoil it. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> I can't and hear I the song Three Little Birds without like getting sad. And like, the song used to always yeah. make me happy. Like, it's a happy song. And yeah. he's just like stroking the dog's like neck, like, and singing it, like, while it's like slowly like dying and turning into a, like, dude, it's the fucking worst. Like, ah, thanks, Will. I'm... You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we can all talk about our feelings together. I, I, um, you know, and it's funny because there's a lot I don't think works really well with that film, um, that I would be critical about. But that inner, like that relationship, was like the best part of that movie. So I think, yeah, I mean, it is the most heartbreaking too. So. Yeah, it's it's a great like use of an animal, like as a something more than just like a plot device to make you sad, you know, like there's a great partnership between them throughout the film, which I think is why like the fate of the dog is is rather devastating. But um, yeah, it's it's a very, very um, I think like amazing way to like take a little bit off of the actor's plate when you're like the sole performer in a film. It's, I mean, it's kind of similar to Wilson, I guess, in um, Castaway, where like, even just having an inanimate object for Tom Hanks to bounce off of, so to speak. Hey, yeah. Makes dialogue more natural, too. Yeah, you're not just talking to yourself. Like, I mean, we all do it, but out loud, maybe not as much, so... And then you're getting into voiceover territory, which is not a place I like to be in. So <laughs> makes sense. I am I am always wary, especially entering like an apocalyptic film when there is some kind of an animal or child companion. Cause it's like, I know they could easily just kill this character off to get some cheap tears out of the audience. It's always very tempting, I think, for filmmakers. So Yeah. Or shock value often is used for mm-hmm. You think about like the the baby in the Dawn of the Dead remake that was just purely like for shock. You knew it was coming for a long time too. As soon as that woman's like, "I'm pregnant," it's like, "Oh God, man!" Like that's coming back somewhere. It's Chekhov's um, fetus, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ooh. yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> more dangerous than the gun. Well. Uh, fuck you, Will, and also <laughs> nice, nice pick <laughs> for the side quest. My pleasure. Uh, Aren't you glad I made you guys stick with this card now? Yeah. So I don't know if I'll have cut around it or not, but we were debating throwing it back into the pile because <laughs> I know we've drawn this card a few times, and May kept me honest and said we gotta gotta play it to the cards, which is totally fair. So, um. Let us transition to our topic of the show, which is the player. So uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about how this film grapples with social issues and uses uh, self-referential narrative devices to to highlight, you know, some particular thing or another. And we'll talk about what that is actually as part of our discussion. So uh, to summarize the player very quickly, 
I am not going to go through much of the cast. So you'll have to forgive me because if I went through like everybody that's in this movie, we'd be here all night. But the principals are uh, Tim Robbins, Greta uh, Scotchy, Lyle Lovett, Dina Merrill, Fred Ward, Gina Gerson, Whoopi Goldberg, Peter Gallagher, and Jeremy Piven. And then, of course, we have a whole list of cameos, again, that I'm going to skip right over because it is a film about a Hollywood executive by the name of Griffin Mill, who at the beginning of the film is, uh, I think, pretty obviously uh, both unliked and maybe like a bit of a falling star in terms of his prowess within the studio system. He is receiving these mysterious uh, postcards from an unknown person uh, that increase pretty quickly throughout the course of the film and their hostility and like tone of, of bodily harm and threats. Seemingly figuring out uh, who it's from, he confronts a writer played by Vincent D'Onofrio and tr- attempts to smooth things over by offering him a second meeting. Hey, no promises, not going to give you a deal, but we can meet and talk a bit more about your project. They get into a bit of a scuffle after Vincent D'Onofrio insults him and sort of eggs him on about his status within the Hollywood studio system, which leads to the, uh, do we want to call it an accidental like murder? I think like maybe like second degree, like murder, like it's certainly not premeditated, maybe like somewhere between manslaughter and like third degree murder um, of the, of the writer um whose name is escaping me hold please because he's I, in it i would for, call like... it murder yeah okay i was gonna say like david kahane not... david kahane thank you yep. <laughs> it's um he does seem to like think that maybe he's gonna get back up and goes back to check on him i don't know that his intent's a murder but yeah he very clearly wanted to do him bodily harm i think that's apparent from the scene uh, so the rest of the film pretty much centers around, um, you know, uh, the, I guess, uncertainty of if Griffin Mill is going to be apprehended and caught for or like or convicted for the murder itself. You see him uh, navigating conversations with law enforcement while also trying to save his career and then also woo the, the widow of Mr. Kahane. Uh, not really a widow, I guess, but like, you know, surviving partner, we'll call her, because I don't think they're married. They make it a point a couple times to say that. Uh, after a lot of shenanigans, the the film culminates with a witness misidentifying who the culprit of the murder is, leading to a very angry Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> and uh, a flash forward to one year later, revealing that uh, everything has turned out all right for Mr. Griffin Mill, who is now the head of the studio. He looks at a screening of a, a film that is completely bonkers, like from what the original pitch was. Drives off into the sunset, receiving a phone call from a mysterious man who identifies himself as the real culprit and seems to know all about what transpired, saying that he's got a great idea for a film called The Player in which a Hollywood producer gets away with murder. Roll credits. Do okay? I think that's about about sums it up. That was perfect. 
Yeah. Oh, and uh, by this point, he has not only wooed, but married and um, is about to have a kid with uh, June, the former partner of the Do What He Kills. Yep. Good point. Who knows also that he killed him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could make the argument that uh, maybe she misunderstands. Their, she, he does confess like in the midst of uh, lovemaking that uh he's responsible um you know you could interpret that a few different ways or maybe like her unwillingness to like want to dig deeper into it but yeah so we'll start like always with um general impressions i'd like to hear your thoughts on the film overall and then i do have some discussion questions um about specifically the the tone and the format of this being an incredibly self-referential movie uh, around hollywood so um will i'll start with you for general impressions sure overall i liked it um i think that it was something that i didn't really going into it i'd never seen it before so i had no and i had, hadn't heard anything about it so went in cold and i think that overall i liked i like the fact that it's sort of a train wreck because sometimes there are train wreck films that i can get behind <laughs> other times they're not but something about you know even even once he actually does kill david i was still just curious to see where it was going to lead and then to be surprised by and you know intentionally so about the the ending not living up to what we expected and it's sort of like the you know real life versus the hollywood version of what we want to see packaged for us and um I love the cast. Like, I think this was, I know we talked about Heat being like a a really great cast, but I think the folks in this one were awesome too. And I mean, not just like the the main characters, but like all the little cameos, like you talked about, Chris, that we get to to see just kind of sprinkled in there and kind of wondering if they're going to be a character or they're not going to be a character. (laughs) Like if they're going to name drop somebody and then you're like, okay. But uh, I think really that establishing like the beginning the very first long take was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie just from a you know from the perspective of trying to get everything to line up just right and and i always wonder too like when you do long takes like how many times they had to do that like i read uh, um, i think i read 15 and okay. the one that was on there was take 10 i saw in the trivia so when I know I'm not participating in trivia, I do read the trivia if I'm hosting the film. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not doing my job well. But <laughs> yeah, so I was 10 out of 15, okay. which is still, well, that's a lot for like an eight and a half minute shot, you know. Mm-hmm. What was the number on Goodfellas speaking of long shots when they had to, to do that's that? That's a good question. I don't know. That's a great, good runner up too. Not to derail yeah. things too much, but yeah. the Just think about like all the pieces that are going on around you. And if you're like one person like screws up or trips or something or yeah, so. But yeah, so long story short, I liked it. I'm glad you chose it. <laughs> Great. Thanks, man. Uh, and Miss Finch, what did you make of the player? Oh, I instantly loved it. Like that opening shot was amazing and very funny and meta. And I thought it aged amazingly well for a 90s film, especially um, on top of being relevant again with the writer's strike um, and kind of how they were trying to a major plot point was how to get rid of writers and 
<laughs> it feels very relevant today and we're having shockingly similar conversations. Um, it was also just really funny and um, well acted at the same time. Like I've definitely seen a lot of kind of meta content, mostly Marvel, uh, that isn't super well acted and is kind of just leaning on the fact that it's meta to pull itself off. So I appreciated uh, that everyone committed to the bit fully here. Um, There's some scenes where I was like, that person is intentionally acting badly and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Or like sometimes they didn't have lines. Like I read a bit of trivia that was like, Burt Reynolds did not know the plot of this movie. There was no script prepared. A lot of these people were in this film pro bono or made like a hundred dollar donation to like a fund for like retired like actors and directors. Um, and like, I guess he just knew enough about um, how Tim Robbins was conducting himself that he was an asshole. So like that whole like asshole line is just improvised. Like he's like, oh, I don't really know how else I would comment on this guy. But he looks like an asshole. And they're like, not oh, perfect. Great. Nailed it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> But yeah, I, it was really funny. I was laughing the whole time. On top of it, I think being an interesting movie with a lot to say. So two thumbs up, whatever that translates into an Rotten Tomato score from me. Yay! I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. You know, um, we rediscovered this. Uh, I know I, I say we watched this during the pandemic a lot. Uh, look, it was several months of not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like you can be excused. But yeah, I rediscovered this over the pandemic and hadn't seen it since um, college. Actually, it was a film studies film where our um, professor it was kind of like a little treat of like, let's apply all the things that you've learned in this class. It was like one of the last things we watched. And I hope you guys enjoy all the self-referential um, bits to it. And of course uh, we did, but I agree with you. It has aged very well. I think it's a lot of fun. Like it's darkly humorous. And uh, I guess you would consider this to be like, yeah, like late mid or like early late, like in Robert Altman's career. And he's just he's such a fun like director in terms of like knowing how to navigate very serious subject matter in a way that doesn't feel too much of like of a downer like think like the film mash which was his creation i think same thing you know um you can, can have a lot of fun uh while still saying something interesting and covering some pretty serious subject matter um so yeah that's my my take on it. i think it's it's a wonderful film it has there's bits of it that still shock me uh even on this watch room like i cannot believe that these are like the same problems that we're still talking about in Hollywood. And uh, I was quite, quite delighted to see that um, I felt like it had held, held up and I'm glad you guys agreed as well. So, um, well, as our next topic here uh, really quickly, just who's your favorite cameo uh, or like what was the most <laughs> shocking cameo or favorite cameo in the film filled with cameos? I'll go first. If you need a little bit of uh, time. And for me, I think it's Jeff Goldblum because like this is yeah. like pre Jurassic Park, but post The Fly. So you would have had some clout, but I just love that he's being uh, very Jeff Goldblum with the woman on his arm, like you know, walking down the winding stairs and uh, with all his like fun little mannerisms and stuff. Like it's just somebody that I always forget is in this for that one scene, and he's he's all suave and. Um, <laughs> suspicious of of the the wooing that the exec is attempting you know like so i think that's probably my my pick 
I gotta say Bruce Willis swooping in at the end in classic Bruce Willis fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Judy the gas chamber with his shotgun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> that should have been a Die Hard sequel right there. Right? Also a little mm-hmm. bit of Fifth Element, you know, saving the dainty redhead. Yeah. yeah. Played by Julia Roberts, too. Very young Julia Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Andy McDowell. It's nice to see her. And the whole conversation. Yeah. Just, yeah, entertaining and odd. (laughs) And I guess, you know, at first, too, because it's what uh, Dean Stockwell, who plays Andy, who I was like, okay, so he's is is Dean going to be just another actor or is he going to be a character? And I was like, okay, I gotcha. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, their whole just little interplay, that little just moment there in the in the bar at the hotel was, I don't know, I liked it. And also kind of random too, that it's like we had just seen the Groundhog Day and I have not seen many films with Andy McDowell besides that. And so it's like, oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's a fun, like about their like lineage and shared names and stuff. It's a, it's a good little moment yeah because sure. earlier it was um oh geez malcolm mcdowell yeah malcolm mcdowell <laughs> andy mcdowell and who was the other one that he mentioned who he's like related to i can't even remember uh, yeah it's gonna slip my brain but yeah malcolm mcdowell dowell um in the little confrontation in the lobby or, in the lobby or whatever <laughs> yeah nice um so let's let's talk about so speaking of the message of the film and the themes it's tackling what do you personally take as like the overarching message or what are some of the things that you think like the film is trying to say may you kind of touched on i'm going to start with you a little bit already like one of the things which was eliminating writers so if you want to elaborate on that or if there's other stuff that you kind of picked up on um please uh i feel like it was just about so many of the things wrong in hollywood that that's the overarching theme because it 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 does have a lot of different targets right it talks about how it seems like they're trying to cut out writers as kind of like middlemen when honestly that's what makes the story happen is the people writing it um as well as kind of like corruption and favoritism just generally in hollywood um you see people like poor bonnie who is like the only normal person in this whole movie i think um get cast out because she has the audacity to have reasonable opinions and try to be a generally good person um yeah i i feel like it takes aim at a lot of the issues with hollywood and now that you've mentioned a lot of it was kind of improv like it it does feel like people were just kind of shooting from the hip with whatever their personal gripes were and that makes it even better (laughs) yeah yeah so you know robert altman um director again like he grew up in the new hollywood era of cinema um so i i think personal gripes like you know like not everyone in the film is like part of the old guard but a lot of them are it is kind of interesting to see like depending on what generation the person's part of what their job is in the film what their gripe is but it seems like everybody does kind of have a gripe from one perspective or another i love that also just how um the the plot's so predictable and like you have to have the happy ending and you have to have the get the girl moment with a girl that's acting completely illogically too just you know so overcome by love and lust for our protagonist um 
another tropes there are many uh but i think it was taking aim at the tropes of the day as much as the industry and its issues too yeah this is a trope filled like film to the point of i think it's like absurdity where you have no choice but to go this is on purpose it has to be there's no way that they're not aware of especially the way that uh various characters will predict pitches before they're over (laughs) almost like a computer that can see you know things coming from a mile away it's how they view stories and films as sort of formulaic um speaking of like the overcome with love that's the weirdest sex scene ever and i i i'm glad i read the trivia because i was like this framing is like making me very uncomfortable because it's so in and i guess it's because um oh gotta look up her name again i'm sorry greta scotchy i hope i'm saying your name right sorry if i'm not um was not comfortable with any kind of nudity so it kind of forced them to go from the neck up which i think almost makes it a little more like intense and intimate i, I don't know did, how did you guys feel during that like it was it's a little different right for uh, a love scene in a film yeah i can't okay. say i've ever had somebody confess to murder while they were having sex so well there's that part of it too but i mean even just like the mechanics of it you know like icky icky yeah. okay okay like elaborate like what was icky about it to you no just icky just wet, like and it's like kissy mm. i don't know <laughs> i'm glad you qualified that i felt more like i was violating somebody's privacy than i think i've ever have in like a like a traditional film anyway like it's so weird but um i think it works in terms of like what's going on in the the scene um and you know going uh is he gonna get actually spit this out and then what's her reaction gonna be but sorry i digress i just i thought that was a very interesting part to the movie um how about you will did uh what are the some of the messages that you picked up on or like how would you interpret sort of the overarching message or theme of this film well i think uh just one random thought about your 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 discussion about the sex scene i thought was it's interesting knowing that that she wasn't comfortable with nudity because i think that adds another little like you know twist as to what we probably expected to see and then what wasn't the case like in terms of the well this is what's usually in a film like nudity i think even like um and i want to i'm gonna say tim robbins but i should say griffin uh (laughs) mentions to her about the stuff that's expected for a movie to sell and so then I, I honestly thought it was intentional that there wasn't any nudity shown at that point because the film is trying to make points about doing things differently. But um, in terms of what I got out of it, I mean, so I have to, I got to call out Larry Levy, played by Peter Gallagher, who is basically what, chat GT, GPT? I cannot say that without like dyslexia, but... <laughs> It's like they're having a conference meeting and it's like, we can just go around the room and just pull random stuff. Or it's more like a Mad Libs, I guess, of just making film plots instead of having to have writers around and feeling like there's a way to sort of cut out having to pay them to do the work. So that was very much like the, wow, okay, yep, that that idea has definitely been around for a while. (laughs) You know, we're just kind of shafting your writers and 
having them feel like crap about the stuff like the actual art that they want to produce is not good enough for whatever you know the you know everybody else who's running the production wants to do um but yeah, I think ultimately at the very end of the film where we see something that we see the film that they do finalize where after all the conversation about this has to be meaningful and art and not going to have any A-list stars and it's not going to have a happy ending, you know, and it's like, yep, pretty much I'm sure the argument that goes on a lot and then it's the, but it's going to make a lot of money if we do it the other way, <laughs> you know. Or test groups told us that this is what people prefer. So when you want to try and cater to a wider audience and also saying too, like what the audience wants out of it, because if that's what we're going to, to films for, I mean, it makes me reflect on very much when I would look at films growing up as entertainment, what I would want to see out of it and, you know, kind of reflecting on why. And if it had been different, you know, if I had watched films more that, were different than that that we're more like real life versus you know the the fantasy worlds that we enjoy living in because it gives us pleasure or it gives us you know a sense of safety or whatever it is that we get out of it um that that was that was an interesting little moment and i'm glad that they did it uh because i think it is very reflective of what we what we go to film for a lot sort of as the default um but you know that it's it's too bad that that's what happened to their film because I would have liked to to have seen the other version, but I do think it's funny watching Bruce Willis save Julia Roberts. So I mean, I can't I can't argue with it. I still found it entertaining. So <laughs> but, yeah, it's um you know the slow bastardization of this intense art project that starts off full of demands and no compromise to it's completely transformed into everything the guy who's writing it said he didn't want it to to be in the interest of box office receipts and accolades right that's that's what they're they're engineering something based on formula and audience expectations versus actually making a piece of art speaking of pitches in the film uh i know they're they're kind of meant it's meant to be a little like cheeky, but I love the graduate two pitch that we get. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, oh, like, I'd man. watch that movie. I would have watched that. <laughs> like, um, even if it is bad, like I would, I would totally watch that. It's a great. I love how stumbling they are and explaining it too. And I'm just like wondering how many graduate two pitches he's gotten that day alone. Mm -hmm. The guy that's pitching that is the co-writer of the graduate, the original film as well. So Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wonder if they were like, if you were good, I mean, you know, not seriously, but if you were going to pitch, put something in there, um, I don't know, but like, I couldn't help but be like, you know, that doesn't sound that bad. I don't think you need a, a sequel to The Graduate, but would I go watch that? Sure. I mean, I, mean, I would have back in the day. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Well, great. Yeah, I don't have much to add to the commentary. I think you guys did a, a great job other than I think like uh, a lot of what uh, I think was great about this film is that nobody was off the table from executives to actors to directors. Everybody was sort of fair game for making fun of and and uh, sort of, I don't know, acknowledging how superficial Hollywood really is and how how silly a lot of it 
is. I think that was a bit refreshing that um, y- y- it went all across the board, except for maybe like, I don't, I don't know that there's any composers or anything that are like made fun of, but <laughs> pretty much everybody else uh, is on the chopping block at some point or another. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that in his, like at this point in his career, um, that Robert Altman would make a film like this. Cause I think Hollywood had shifted dramatically again, new, new Hollywood had been over for about a decade. You know, a lot of people kind of agree like 1980, 81 is, is where that, that era stopped. And then it was the age of the action star. So I think it's no mistake that you get Bruce Willis as the principal at the end of that film and how the sort of the tone, tone uh, shifts dramatically. Um, I one thing that I wasn't able to fully grapple with other than I think it just makes for a, a fun movie is why the murder mystery aspect of it. In other words, like I think you could have told this uh the story and made fun of Hollywood the way that it that they do with without that, but it's an interesting sort of addition. Um so and I call it a mystery. There's not really a mystery. It's more of I guess a suspense thriller of is he going to to get caught, but um I love the choice nonetheless. It keeps the movie going, I think, between uh, cameo-filled moments and, you know, weird social commentary around Hollywood. I thought that was just kind of almost another Hitchcock reference, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It There's a lot of this. It's almost like Hitchcock's Innocent Man um, story, except the guy's guilty. You know, a lot of Hitchcock <laughs> films are somebody doing exactly this, trying to dodge the the guilt but they're actually innocent and in this case it's it's like no he actually he still gets away with it but yeah and of course ingredients in any hollywood movie you gotta have violence and at least one guy dies right yep yeah there is there is indeed a confirmed one body um for sure uh one then a deceased snake as well but Mm -hmm. uh so uh yeah, R.I.P. Rattlesnake. He didn't do anything, man. He was just hitching a ride. I'm thinking, okay, he's going to fling it out of the car, right? Or call animal control. No, he just beats it to death. <laughs> also, why are you opening a box that says don't open till Christmas from a psychopath? Like, come on. My, my first thought would have been like, oh, this is a bomb, you know, or something. Um, Yeah. So, speaking of the meta themes, um, how do you like i know you touched on this a little bit may um a how do you think they've aged which kind of already have commented on and b like what do you think is aged the best out of everything that like the film sort of grapples with definitely the commentary on replacing writers with basically news prompts like that it's so prescient in a way that that could not have been intentional it's just so funny how that worked out yeah um But I also appreciated how, like, yeah, this very art house film about important, like, racial and social justice issues gets turned into a Bruce Willis, a whitewashed action flick. Um, that's still an issue today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like everything's aged pretty well, but those two seem particularly like, oof, okay, yeah, this has always been an issue with Hollywood. Agree. Uh, Will? I'm trying to you... think of something something else to add to that. Um, probably, I don't know. I always think it's funny when, like, in this case, it's I know it's the studio is trying to basically cover their ass with Fred Ward's character about <laughs> like making sure that 
um, Griffin's story is straight and that I guess basically just to keep an eye on him to make sure he doesn't do anything else or say something stupid, you know, and that whole idea about like just making sure that they're off clean. Um, I feel like that's very much important distinction, not things. him, but the studio, right? Like that's yeah. the, like he's he's in the interest of the studio. No, he doesn't give a yeah. shit about the uh, the guy, so to speak. But yeah, yeah. So I think just between that and also just um, the focus groups about the trying out different endings or trying out different uh, versions of a film that they want to try it and see which one's going to play better to the wider audience and that that's the one that we end up with so yeah it's a small thing but like I, one of my favorite moments is uh when they're sitting around doing the the newspaper pitch and they ask what film he's seen and he says uh you know the bicycle thief and he's like no 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 like a, a real movie like that's an art movie like a real movie the fact that they view a film that's considered by you know some people to be the greatest film ever made but certainly it's always in the conversation of like amongst the like the best films ever as not being a real a movie or like going to like the the cinema because we just had that conversation about how there's sort of seems to be an appetite for that now where audience attitudes are shifting more towards subverting expectations we we like our everything everywhere all at once is and are a little bit cold right now on the latest marvel fair or you know take your pick so i thought that was quite interesting um i wonder if that like those attitude shifts like it'd be uh fun to go back in time to see how films have like is there a seesaw that happens like i imagine like a lot of things it's maybe a little bit cyclical where people go like big boost of or like you know big long period of artsy films that are bold and inventive and then you know period of hey we love them on the show but like those 80 action like still you're stallone your schwarzenegger your bruce willis like you know all those kind of things that that were big in the 80s so um but yeah i i, I just thought that was a neat little bit of commentary <laughs> um that and the fact that uh the detective paid by lyle lovett goes to see freaks you know and he just he's so pleased with himself that he's gone out to see like a real film and uh it's interesting because you would think somebody as superficial um as uh i don't know why i keep forgetting his name but griffin mill uh (laughs) as like griffin would maybe not be familiar with some of the great works of art but i like you can tell like the posters behind will that he actually does appreciate the art form he's just been made cynical and sort of lost his his way um to rise to the top in other words you have to kind of stop caring about the art of it all was there any uh aspect of the film that you feel like didn't age particularly well i think you know like anytime you you have a film where you're grappling with social issues or trying to make a strong statement as this one is sometimes things don't age well because maybe the issues are not as relevant or you know um i don't know there's a number of reasons like so was there anything that didn't work for you i didn't think that it was bad so much as i just had no idea what this was supposed to be i like i didn't quite get the joke besides it was just a really weird scene but when um would be goldberg's character detective avery is like asking about the tampons and then is interrogating uh griffin while just like twirling a, a tampon <laughs> yeah i was like 
absurd or is there some commentary here? Because I feel like this is just absurd, but I have no idea. I think it's meant to be absurd. Just, <laughs> she wants to put him off his, off balance a little bit. and um, It's a bizarre thing to do, I think. Uh, that and the whole exchange and argument that she has with the other woman detective about this is your tampon because this is the size and <laughs> just love it. she's like well who the fuck else took them <laughs> you know, like, looking around this office dominated by men you know no it's I, that's fair i think um it's weird because in that same scene they do mention the rodney king like which would have been very fresh like for the time that the, that's very um recent you know probably uh, in the hearts and minds of people at that point like when this would have come out but yeah, well, anything uh, that, and, you know, if you, if you don't have something, it's quite all right as well. But anything that you remember, like, you feel like, ah, uh, does it age particularly well in terms of like social themes or anything else? I think it's an excellent question. And I wish I had a good answer for you. But I'm having a hard time just thinking about everything that happened. I mean, I feel like you could do the film again today. Like, yeah. you, I don't think you could. I honestly think you don't have to change anything about it. And it would still feel like it could happen today. So, um, maybe the fact that they have very detailed notes about calls that they make that are all very nicely written in a book. That was a pleasant and strange surprise to see where I'm just like, this would all just be on an Excel file or something, you know, versus, you know, but that to me, just the technology, but everything else I thought just it the car great. facts you mean you never had a fax in your car like <laughs> yeah. the most ridiculous thing that fax comes rolling out i was like Come that on. is true yeah that is true i didn't even think about that yeah. you gotta ask for the car facts yeah no, right yeah. that's the first thing i thought <laughs> of yeah when you said yeah. that i was like oh yeah. wow that had not occurred to me yep that's funny <laughs> so it is still relevant in yeah. the weirdest yeah. way you got me there. Sure. You absolutely have got me there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it like again, surprisingly, there's not a whole lot. Um, I was trying to scrutinize to see if there was anything that I felt like didn't age particularly well. I, I think um oh gosh, like I don't know why these names won't stay in my head, so I apologize. But June, like her character is just odd enough that I couldn't really tell if that was a, was a product of the, the writing or just who she is, but I, from the state of her apartment slash house, whatever that is, I'm just going to chalk it up. So she's meant to be a little bit of a strange character with like maybe a mysterious backstory. They kind of hint that like, maybe, you know, she's got something lurking in her past as well. Um, the first time I saw this film, I remember thinking it was going to be her, like that was going to be the reveal. Mm-hmm. Was the one Me sending too. the cards because she calls him the dead man on the phone. Mm. Um, uh, do you do you, did you guys figure out who the person was? Because Robert Altman has like confirmed like who the person is. Oh. I didn't think you were supposed to know. So yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm intrigued now. Yeah, I thought it was just some <laughs> random <laughs> voiceover. You... My bad. Yep. Nope. Yeah. So if you listen carefully um, to the voice on the phone, uh, there's a gentleman wearing the same outfit as the deceased uh, writer giving a eulogy at the funeral. 
um, who is railing against the Hollywood system and he reads a little bit, that's that is the person that is doing the blackmailing and is like responsible. Okay. So so he's adjacent to you know um the the mistaken um blackmailer but um but yeah robert altman has confirmed that like you know the voices obviously match up and that was sort of the intent it was his his little tip of the hat like um not that it really matters it's kind of irrelevant to the resolution of the story but um but he's like yes that's that's who it was intended to to be so. That makes sense then why June would call him a dead man because it seems like she ran in the same kind of circle and mm-hmm. was probably aware of at least how this guy felt about Griffin, if not about the postcards directly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's sort of intense. And uh, again, it makes sense when you go and you watch the funeral scene again. Where you're like, oh, yeah. Uh, I believe it. Yeah, he seems like somebody in this brief little uh, moment who would would do something like that. Well, why don't we start winding it down? So any other aspects of the film, whether it be the plot or the meta takedown that you would like to talk about before we transition to play a game? Feel bad for Bonnie, but I know she'll be better off. She dodged some craziness right there. So even though it sucks, better things are ahead for you, Bonnie. Your happy endings out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She gets a raw deal um, for no good reason, really, other than I think to maybe remind the audience that he's not a nice person. You know, I don't know that you're ever meant to really root for him. Did you root for him at any point in the film? I didn't really like him. Um, but I didn't mind him as a vehicle to sort of navigate the story, if that makes sense. Like I would have been fine if he went to jail. I'd have been fine if he did it. Like, um, just because of the the, the commentary. Like, of the, I think how they navigate him not going to jail is kind of perfect because you get the resolution of the 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 story and you know the pitch final pitch in the car phone. Yeah, I was never rooting for him, but it was kind of a I want to see how far this guy's going to spiral and how sweaty and greasy Tim Robbins is going to get. Mm, (laughs) It's quite by the end of it, isn't it? (laughs) When he's just sitting there and they're all laughing at him for way too long. Oh, in the police station? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did kind of want to talk about the ending just because of all the meta things in the movie, I love that um they've constantly hinted at like there being this happy ending and um i again you're not really rooting for griffin mill like i think happy ending is probably him actually getting caught um (laughs) so when there's that line in the movie that gets screened about like oh what took you so long Mm. and then he says the same thing when he's coming home to june and that being the final line of the film, it just feels like kind of like the biggest fuck you to the audience instead of, you know, pandering to the audience with a happy ending. And I just thought that was a perfect way to end the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's there's not a mis- it's no mistake that that line is sort of echoed by him in a very different context. You know, it's charming and um, sort of like 
it's the camera winking maybe one more time when Bruce Willis says it because <laughs> it's the most Bruce it feels so natural coming out of his mouth you know it's a quip that you've seen some version of like a dozen times probably with Bruce Willis but with Tim Robbins it's kind of, it's just like ooh boy I feel feel bad for that child that's about to come into the world put it that way Mm-hmm. about you well did you like the ending of the film did you feel like it uh it wrapped things up nicely was it uh to make you groan uh no i was it's pretty much what may said i um i couldn't add anything more to it i thought it was really well done and it was a nice little way to like i mean that i have nothing else to say <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. a good F you to the audience <laughs> because there was it was sort of like what we expected and the art film that we thought should get the actual treatment got screwed and then the film we were watching that we thought would have a resolution we were expecting didn't happen so you know it's yeah no I thought it was great well <laughs> so <laughs> somehow you kind of predicted um, my game here so as a way of making fun of the studio system and what their intentions might be for the future and how silly and stupid it all is. I had chat GPT design some movie trailers <laughs> for us based on existing films. Nice. Uh, so I'm going to do my best narrator voice and maybe bleep out some, some names <laughs> as soon as you think you've got it you can put it forth. I'm going to add one rule to this. So um, unlike keyword countdown, you get one guess per trailer. So, so use your guess smart, make sure you're relatively um, sure about it. Cause if you guess wrong, I get to keep going and your opponent can just wait till the end of the trailer and give a guess when they've got all the information there. Cool. So these are movies that have already come out. Uh, these are films that already come. These are existing films. Okay. What I've done is I've asked ChatGPT to design a trailer um, for uh, the film. Now I'm not going to read the because it do, it did actually put a script where like it described the scenes. Unless you want me to, but some of it is cu- quite spoilerly. Um, I'll let it would. I'll let you go. I was just going to do the narration because it insisted that all of them have a narration, which already is like a huge strike against using in a uh, world AI. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a lot of that. <laughs> I'm fine with however you want to do it. This is an exciting game. Yeah. All right, I promise, um, Hollywood writers, I stand behind you. I don't believe in using AI for serious purposes. This is really about making fun of like how you can't replace humans. I promise. This is done with also, the best intentions. Robots, when you do inevitably take over, we apologize for what we're about to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, oh. not sorry. <laughs> okay, who's ready for the first film? Let's do it. Let's go. I'm going to do my best here. All right. <clears throat> In a city ruled <laughs> by secrets, where loyalty is everything, one man stands at the center of it all. Blank beep. That's beeping out his name. A man of principles builds an empire based on respect, family, and tradition. But when a rival crime family seeks to encroach on his territory, beep must make a choice. Godfather. It is the Godfather. (laughs) Awesome. Well done, May. That's a point for May. Um, and then here's the. Can we still hear the rest of it? 
Oh sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now I can I can fill in the names. Uh, uh so ba 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 ba. Uh, yes. In a world where violence and betrayal lurk around every corner, Vito's sons Michael and Sonny must step into their father's shoes. As the Corleone family faces external threats, internal divisions threaten to tear them apart. The Godfather is a story of power, betrayal, and the lengths one family will go to protect their legacy. In a world where trust is the rarest currency who will emerge as the true heir to the throne. The Godfather, coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> nice. How All many right. times did that have in a world? <laughs> a lot. Oh, it's a lot. <laughs> so here's the pitch notes really quickly. The Godfather pitch emphasizes the themes of power, family, loyalty, and betrayal that are central to the film's narrative. It introduces the main characters, their dilemmas, and the conflicts they face within the crime world. The trailer hints at the moral complexities of the story and the choices the characters must make as they navigate the treacherous underworld of organized crime. Uh, yeah. So already we can see the problem with relying on AI too much. Uh, I'll give you a million dollars if you can guess what the first three words of this uh, next trailer are. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> New film. In a world on the brink of chaos, an extraordinary encounter is about to change everything we know. Beep, a renowned linguist, and beep, a brilliant physicist, are brought together by an urgent and unprecedented mission. The aliens Arrival. have arrived. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I saw you moving, May, and I was not going to lose that one. <laughs> <laughs> amazing alright here's the rest of it the aliens have arrived and they brought with them a language that could bridge the gap between our worlds or plunge us into chaos as Louise and Ian work tirelessly to decipher the alien language they uncover secrets that defy human comprehension <laughs> the fate of humanity hangs in the balance as governments teeter on the edge of confrontation uh, and then there's a bit of dialogue from General Shang. We need to find answers before it's too late. In a world, <laughs> there we go again, divided okay. by fear and misunderstanding, arrival is a breathtaking journey into the unknown. Prepare for a mind-bending exploration of language, time, and the bonds that connect us all. <laughs> Very Writers, good. keep right. your jobs. Yeah, please. <laughs> I am not going to read the pitch notes on uh, all of these, but just to give you an example of like, it's very surface level. It's a lot of buzzwords like for all of these, or they just kind of like mm -hmm. throw a bunch of uh, word salad together. All right. Here is your next film. In the aftermath of war, Japan sought peace, but nature had other plans. A string of inexplicable catastrophes rock the nation, awakening an ancient terror from the Godzilla? depths of the ocean. It is Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these might be a little easy, but Do it's I have still to fun. know which one. <laughs> no, it's it, yes. it is literally just Godzilla. Like well. I just I I put the original Godzilla as the uh, thing. So you you are correct any way you slice it. Good. Uh, all right. Can you overlay the Godzilla roar when you do the edit? 
because uh, well now i will i'll have to yeah i want to i want to hear him <laughs> gojira a force of nature unleashed by mankind's own arrogance threatens to reduce japan to rubble as the nation trembles in the shadow of the monsters one scientist holds the key to its salvation and there, again there's a lot of exposition and like lines here but defeating Gojira will require sacrifices, the likes of which Japan has never known. <laughs> In the face of overwhelming terror, ordinary people will become heroes. Gojira is not just a monster. It's a symbol of Japan's resilience and its determination to protect its people. Like, that would never be a narrator line, like, ever in a trailer. Like, it's literally just explaining to you, like, I guess you didn't know. Anyway. Prepare for a heart-pounding journey into the heart of darkness and the triumph of the human spirit. Gojira, the legend of a nation's courage, is reborn. Coming soon to theaters. All right. Penultimate, I believe. Yeah, this is... Yes. Second to last. Okay. Meet Blank, the once-renowned oceanographer whose glory days have long since passed. But when tragedy strikes and his best friend is devoured by a mythical shark, Blank embarks on a journey like no other. Is this the life aquatic? <laughs> it is the life aquatic. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joined by an eclectic group of misfits, including a loyal crew, a pregnant journalist, a sound engineer with no hearing, Steve sets out to seek revenge and redemption. Their journey is a roller coaster of absurdity and heartwarming moments as they confront the unknown and rediscover their purpose in a world <laughs> where the line between reality and imagination blurs. Steve Zizou will do whatever it takes to capture the mythical Jaguar shark. The life aquatic with Steve Zizou is an offbeat and visually stunning odyssey that will make you cry, laugh <laughs> and question the meaning of life. Get ready for a voyage like no other where the only certainty is the uncertainty of the deep blue. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um again. Well done, uh, well. Yes, well done. So what's the what's the score here? Let's recap here going into the final film. So yep. Will's got Arrival and Life Aquatic. May has, yep. I think, Gojira and uh what was the first uh Godfather. So it's tied, right? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Who's gonna take this i wish i had a buzzer <laughs> you guys are doing great so far it hasn't been contested i can always do the playback and uh you know if it, <laughs> if it is contested and slow it way down and see whose uh wave wavelength or wave, wave line goes goes up first okay here we go ready final film yeah so this is a, a, a little bit of a different uh trailer in that the narrator is not like the typical narrator guy but I'm afraid if I do the voice, I'm going to do a neutral voice. It would give away maybe the film. Okay. Yeah. But it's a little hint there. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you myself, blank, your humble narrator. In this world of blank, I'm going to blank that out because it's a spoiler uh, and moral <laughs> decay. We do what we like when we like. But when the law catches up with me, I'm offered a choice prison or the cure. They said they cure me, make a good law, make me a good law abiding citizen. But what is the cost of my redemption? 
I can no longer choose to be good or bad. Is a blank any better than a rotten one? Is it better to be forced to be good or to choose evil? The the choice is mine no more. In a world without choice, what defines humanity? And then the screen fades to black. I can give you some some, uh, notes that'll help a little bit. So the opening shot is a futuristic bleak cityscape with blank played by blank narrating his thoughts and introducing his gang equilibrium it is not equilibrium some other notes show scenes of the the gang engaging in disturbing acts of violence and debauchery establishing the dark and anarchic world of the film or is this clockwork clockwork orange it is it is a clockwork orange Ah. well done i just i was like if i do the alex voice i feel like that's gonna Mm -hmm. give it away because he's very very much but humble narrator and things like that like but yes the the line that i cut out was like is it better to be a clockwork orange or a rotten one um which mm-hmm. i think is just something that it made up actually like because i think like a clockwork orange is a phrase that supposedly anthony burgess just made up for the film but that was very close guys i i love that yeah. I hope you had fun doing <laughs> that, that. Was, that I did. was really great and well yeah. played well oh hey likewise I will send you um, if you want to look at like the full thing that it spit out. Um, so nice. Yeah. If you guys want to look at like, again, at first you're like, oh, this is a, impre-. but as soon as you start really scrutinizing anything, you're like, oh, it's just buzzwords and superficial nonsense that um, is nothing more than a curiosity. Writers, we love you. We stand with you. Don't worry. I think your jobs are safe if uh, that is anything to go off of. <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. right well now through the power of editing we're going to bring in a guest and here they come and here she is through the power of editing we have very <laughs> special special guest uh ev hello everyone welcome <laughs> welcome yeah thanks for joining Hi. us I'm super excited to try it out. I am um, a more recent fan of Screen Quest, so I'm excited to join in on the fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good time. It'll eliminate the burden of choice on what to watch for the week. <laughs> it's kind of nice. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll learn a little bit more about Ev on next week's episode, uh, specifically Ev's relationship with uh, movies and cinema. Uh, but I do want to give Ev a quick little shout out as being our current DM and our uh, version of D&D that we're playing. Uh, very, very fun campaign. So Ev, thanks for all the laughs and goofiness. Uh, the last, like what, like six months or so it's been now, I feel like it's it's been going on for a while. It's been a while. Um, thank you. But, you know, hold your thank yous for uh, the next couple sessions because I've got some crazy stuff coming y'all's way. <laughs> oh, no. I <laughs> not what you want to hear from God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On my own screen quest. DM screen quest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Uh, when we do our horror films, uh, we call it Scream Quest. Uh, so Ooh. maybe you're going to send us on a Scream Quest. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's figure out what we're going to be watching this week, shall we? Yeah, I can't wait and, to find out. And I am shuffling the virtual cards. Here we go. 
Ooh, it is a uh, deja vu. So mm. since it's been a while since we've had one of these, I will remind the audience on what the category is. And since you've not been on, um, it is imitation is the best kind of flattery. Choose a film that pays homage to another film or genre and discuss whether that homage is successful or not. This is going to be a will pick and we're going nice. to be watching and discussing Event Horizon. Uh-huh. So, uh, okay. A film that I know you love deeply and I have not seen. So, Will, I've tell us why. <laughs> no, I have not. Um, <laughs> why did you nominate Event Horizon? And I know we'll get into it all next week, but just quick elevator pitch. Uh, long and the short of it, I like it as a dark sci-fi movie. And I think it has a great cast. And I will say it's it is a little gory, but by today's standards, it's pretty tame. So no worries on that. I know it's Sam Neill, right? Like of Jurassic mm-hmm. Park fame. Is it Lawrence Fishburne? Is he in it as well? Show is. Yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. Right. Oh, geez. I can't remember the there's a lady who's in it whose name is escaping me. Jason Isaacs is in it. Um, I'll pull up this cast list real quick. Very cool. I'm excited. It's, it's on my list of shame as a sci-fi like fan to not have. I know a lot of people regard the makeup and subject. Like I've just heard it's a lot of fun for like a sci-fi horror mashup. So mm-hmm. very excited. Mm-hmm. Have Another... either May or Ev seen this before? I have not. Um, and it's deja vu. So that means that like is are, are does that mean other films are homaging this film or this film? is homaging another film great question uh we specifically um define this as like pick a film that is paying homage to like other films or genres okay so i'm sure will will explain next week probably um i kind of like going into this like do my own detective work a little bit or like you know based on the context of the film so i'm sure you'll you'll tell us next week like what you had in mind but uh i can't wait to kind of see if i can pick up where the homages might be coming from I agree. I was going to ask, but then I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll see if I can figure it out myself. (laughs) (laughs) On a scale of one to 10, like 10 being like, couldn't be more obvious. One is like very obscure. How would you rate like how easy do you think it'll be for us to pick up the. Um, I would say it's probably a mixed bag. I think some things are like the the symbolism or certain elements of it are going to be pretty much in your face. But I think that there's probably some subtlety in there too. And especially from the first time I remember watching it versus the films I saw after the fact, I think that it's, um, I don't know, I think you get a little bit of both. Right on. I'm excited. I'm also new yeah. to the film, but it sounds like it's going to be like maybe a little spooky, maybe another good pre-October pick. Yeah that's the way the cookie crumbles on the podcast it's always like timely and we don't plan it but we sure do roll with it uh well ev i promise that there's anything that you um would like to plug you can do it uh certainly on this week's episode but you definitely should next week as well because you have a, a very cool thing that you do but if you'd like to plug it on this week's episode as well you can briefly do that i mean i've what a what a gracious invitation. Um, yes, I am a handmade dice maker. I make artisan playing dice for your tabletop role-playing game needs, or if you just, you know, want a truly fabulous one-of-a-kind kind of um, smaller gift to give somebody, handmade dice is always a hit. Uh, just a pair of little pips 
um, or something like that. That's, I'm sorry, I'm using jargon. Pipped dice refer to the dice with dots on them versus numbered dice are what we use for D&D &D and other things. Anyway, um, you can check out my stuff on Instagram. My shop name is Double Take Dice. So if you just hit up Instagram.com slash Double Take Dice, you can see what I've been up to. You make beautiful dice. Uh, <laughs> you should definitely go check out Ev's shop because there are some stunning uh, bits of work on there. <laughs> well, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. I've been a frequent customer and I can confirm they roll well. I've not had to put any of them in dice jail. <laughs> but don't let me roll with my own dice, right? We found that out at a murder mystery party. <laughs> they are biased towards me. They're um, creator. So it's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. We we look forward to hearing more uh, from Ev next week as we talk about Event Horizon. Uh, but until then, we appreciate all of you for watching and listening the, to the show. You can find us on X at ScreenQuest Pod. You can also find us on podcast services all over the place. And of course, YouTube, if you fancy watching the show versus listening. Wherever you get the show, we do appreciate that support. Give us a like, a share, or a subscribe. Definitely that share part, as I've said many times, the most important way for the show to grow we love to engage with new listeners. Uh, we will include a link for how you can submit your own screen quest suggestions. If you have a topic you would like to uh, suggest or a film for our current topics, you can do so. And we're going to throw them all into our deck eventually. So we'll have some user submitted suggestions. You can even nominate yourself as a potential host if you'd like. Until next week, though, thanks again. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.